Sorry to disappoint you So what was your expectation? Nah, I'm just an everyday dude Oh, you expected perfection? This is what Christianity is supposed to be like I make mistakes Like, lots of mistakes I'm just trying to do the best that I can do I guess I'm just imperfectly human Yo, welcome back, week three of the Imperfectly Human podcast, season three. I'm your host, Mr. Daly. I want to thank you for rocking with me consistently, weekly, week in, week out. You are here faithfully listening to the show. I thank you. I appreciate you. I salute you. Um, it's going to be a good week. Good show. We're going to jump into it. We're going to talk about um, something that's been on my mind for a while. Um, something that I think a lot of people, we've had a lot of different narratives, different voices on. And I guess I'm throwing my hat into the ring now. Um, so we're going to be talking about masculinity. What is masculinity in this current world that we live in? Um, the landscape for masculinity has changed. And I want to dig into that. But before we do, I want to shout out everyone that has hit that subscribe button. Um, Look, if you enjoy the podcast, I need you to jump on your favorite platform, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Wherever you listen to this podcast, I want you to jump on there and hit the subscribe button. Leave some feedback. Shoot me an email. Send me a DM. Whatever. But hit that subscribe button. Because when you hit that subscribe button, you help this show grow and we really want to grow so let's just jump into this show so before i do i'm gonna kick it off with a little um faith in the hustle if you recall from the first show of the season faith is the hustle faith is the hustle faith in the hustle but faith is not a hustle (laughs) I'm putting faith into the hustle Um, Man that can be misinterpreted in so many ways But anyway um, Faith in the hustle Is where I talk about um, My experiences In business as a Christian And While sometimes I might inject the humorous side of it Or whatever This week has been a little bit more reflective if I'm honest and I was thinking about um, just the struggles so myself and my brother have this conversation and he always says something to me Um, we're not called to grind we're not called to hustle 
hustle is he he's always said like look hustle hustle is synonymous with struggle and i kind of see it differently um i use hustle not as not to signify struggle but to you know signify that i'm doing what i do um i'm on my business um i'm pushing i'm working i'm trying to make stuff happen but one thing that jumped out to me this week um as i've you know i've been reflecting is that um as christians we need to be very careful about how about ambition so hear me out so in this i'm calling this bit ambition is the gateway to idolatry that's that was my headline when i was thinking about this segment and people are going to be like oh here we go but bear with me go with me on this journey so what is ambition Ambition is the earnest desire for some type of achievement or distinction as power, honor, fame or wealth and the willingness to strive for its attainment. That's what ambition is. So when we focus on ambition or when we have ambition based on this definition we are seeking power or we are seeking honor fame or wealth and it's a willingness to strive for those things that may immediately made me think well the bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil Well, if I'm chasing wealth, what do I love? And you will understand um and I guess we're going when we get to to soul searching, uh, I'm going to so I'm kind of splitting this into two because faith in the hustle talks about ambition, but I will I will drive it home when we get to soul searching. But the love of money is the root of all evil. not money itself the love of money is the root of all evil your heart is where where with whatever you love yeah now some people love money some people love power some people love honor some people love fame um some people love cars some people love um wickedness and evil some people actually love that um people love a variety of things and whatever you love whether you like it or not you set or you create an altar to that thing in your heart bear with me what i mean by this is that when you wake up 
thinking about one about a particular thing. You go to sleep thinking about that particular thing. It occupies every waking moment in your life. You have set up an altar to that thing. And whatever you do now is in worship to that thing. Now, every altar requires a sacrifice. True or false? What's the point of an altar if there is no sacrifice? Every altar requires a sacrifice. And we are the sacrifice. We are the living sacrifice. Um, And we present ourselves as sacrifices to these things. Unknowingly. I'm not saying we knowingly do. There, there, look, there are some people out there that are into some madness and they they know what they're doing. But generally, we as human beings are sleepwalking through life. And we are walking into covenants and bondages with idols without knowing. Um, And what I mean is that idolatry is, um, idolatry is a very, it's not a complex thing to understand. A lot of people believe that idolatry is taking something and carving an image of it and bowing down to that thing. Not necessarily. The idol is a physical representation of the thing that you love. So, if I love... Um, so, put it... Let, let's, let's say there are people that love success. And man, I'm, I'm jumping into soul searching here. But... You might love success, you might love that kind of thing. And um, your car might become the idol. That is the physical representation of your success. Your house may become the idol because that is the physical representation of your success. And it is the thing where you present yourself. It is the thing that you go to. It is where you it is where you draw your strength to keep going for your success. And what I mean by that is it might be the thing that spurs you on. Look what I have achieved. Or look what I'm trying to keep. Therefore I must continue to be successful. We can make idols out of anything. But specifically here, because I'm talking about ambition, I'm talking about how we can allow our ambitions in our careers to become an idol. Take, for example, um, Solomon. Take, for example, Saul. 
Saul allowed his ambition to pull him away from God. He became more interested in the things, the success and the power that God had given him as king than being obedient to God. So his power became his idol. Solomon was different. Solomon just moved wild and started where he started worshiping other gods. His many concubines led his heart astray and he started to worship other gods. That that's clear. But each of them were driven to a certain extent by their ambition. Solomon's ambition was to be the greatest king ever. And he built temples and palaces and all of this stuff. And his heart was in the right place at the beginning. But in his quest to be the greatest ever, he had, he, he had wives upon wives, concubines upon concubines. And eventually that ambition to be the greatest was his downfall because he opened his it allowed he allowed other things to come into his heart and to move him away from his God, the foundation and the beginning of everything. So, I so how I got here was I was thinking about, well, in my career, what am I striving for? What is my driver? And a scripture came to me, so it, the, the, the same scripture appears twice in, in two different places. Uh, Matthew 6, 25 to 34, and Luke 12, 22 to 31. I'm going to go with the, um, just because it is easier to, for me to get to it, I'm going to go with a Matthew. So Matthew 6. 25 and I know I've got this uh, I've got this bookmarked <laughs> um, that is why I tell you so I'm reading from new from the new living te- new living translation that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing look at the birds they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for that your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the, lily, look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderly, wonderfully for wild flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will I eat? What will we drink? Oh, sorry. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate our thoughts. Oh my gosh, what am I reading? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously 
and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Um, so that was Matthew 6, 25 to 34 from the New, Li- from the New Living Translation. Um, and the interesting and oh my apologies for the for the shoddy reading man that was that's that's bad (laughs) but um give me a break um the interesting thing is when i started to look at the greek the greek word that was translated as seek also translates to crave the Greek word that was translated to kingdom actually translates to royal power, kingship, dominion, and rule. So the Greek actually says, crave the dominion. Crave the royal power. Crave the rule of God. And these things shall be added unto you. Crave. Now we, we know what it's, it, it's like to crave for something. To want something. It's like to long for something. The definition of crave, yeah, to long for, want greatly, to want greatly, to desire eagerly, to require and need, to ask earnestly and beg for, to ask earnestly for something or to do something, to beg for the rule of God, to beg for the dominion of God. So, we, we say seek. Seek, I think seek downplays what we're expected to do. When you say crave, and again, seek the kingdom, it downplays it. So the thing that I should be striving for in my life, in my business, in every aspect is to seek, not to, to crave the rule, to crave the dominion, to crave the kingship of God. To crave the royal power of God in every situation, every part of my life. That leaves no room for idolatry. When we crave power, when we crave success, when we crave wealth, we open the doors for these things to take center stage in our lives. We, we open the doors for these things to set up an altar in our lives where we come and worship because they take over our thoughts, they take over our minds, they take over every waking moment of our lives. 
But the Bible says, crave the dominion. Long for the dominion. Long for the rule of God. And these things shall be added unto you. Not all your crazy wants or whatever, but your needs, everything. God was very, very clear in that scripture. Because people will say, oh, well, I need this, I need that. Let's break it down to to what he said we need. Don't worry about these things saying, what will I eat? What will, sorry, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Now, I will stretch that a little and say, where will I live? Because you need to live somewhere. You need to rest your head somewhere. Um, and that, that bothers a lot of people. But, and I'm not going to lie, that bothers me. You know, to, I've always been like, oh my gosh, I need to make sure I've got a roof over my head and blah, blah, blah. Yes, of course, it bothers me. And I, I, I used to think about that. But then I could have a roof over my head and I want a bigger roof over my head. I want more room, I want more space, I want more this. But do I need it? So I had to learn to pull back and say, Lord, give me what I need when I need it. That was stage one for me. But stage two came as I started to understand this scripture. Crave, long for. And I'm not going to front like I've got this mastered. I haven't. Because the human nature is it's just hell-bent on um, worrying, stressing over things that, that are not even that important. But human nature is to stress over these things over and over and over again. So... As we kind of push, as we push forward in, in our ambition, well, in our careers and in our goals and, and in what we strive for, how about we recenter what drives us and look and strive and long for God's dominion, God's rule and God's kingship in every part of our lives? including business. And what do I mean by this? So, depending on what your business, your line of business is, look at how you can do the things that are on God's mind. I say that again. No matter what kind of business you are in, look at how you can do the things that are on God's mind. And what are the things that are on God's mind? And I'm trying to remember the exact scripture. Um, But God says, when you feed the hungry, when you help the poor, when you clothe the naked, Help the sick. Take care of the homeless. 
when you do these things, you do them unto me. I can't remember where the exact scripture is, and I, I'm sure I'm slightly paraphrasing there, but um, those are the things that are on God's mind. God, I, I saw something today. So there's a guy that um, we, we've, we've only had a couple of con- conversations, but um, he runs a company called Eventide in the US, um, a Christian wealth management company. And he posted something today. And it was talking, you know, he was talking to ChatGPT and he said, um, what kind of, if God was, if God was here and God was investing, what kind of investor would God be? Um, I'm going to see if I can find the post because I want to do it justice. So uh let's see let's see uh, uh, uh. i just want to make sure i do this post justice and i might struggle to find it okay uh <laughs> i don't think i'm going to find it right now but the the post was It basically said, if God was here, what kind of investor be? And it said, God would invest in projects or investments with underpinned by love. And it's so simple. It's so straightforward. You know, there's nothing complicated there. The Bible tells us that God is love. So it's straightforward. Focus on that. Center on that. Put your, you know, put that, make that the the heart of what you do in your business. And I've spent more time on this than, than I'd planned to, but hey, I'm just going to go with wherever it takes me today. Um... Anyway, let me let me not let me not dwell on that for too long because I do want to dive into um, this masculinity thing. Actually, let me not get distracted because I really did want to dive into that. So let's jump into today's main topic. Let's dive into the daily perspective. So in recent times, this has taken center stage. Um, in the last, well, maybe maybe the last five to ten years, it's been really, really out there. But um, we're talking about masculinity, and obviously, there are, the the common phrase that you will hear is toxic masculinity. But it's broader than that, and. I actually have a whole series of topics on this planned. Um, This one is just talking about the change in landscape of manhood. So bear with me. The next few weeks, I'm going to be talking about manhood and masculinity. Not from the usual perspective. I'm keeping it biblical here. Um... Some people may agree with the views, some people may not. 
hey ho, but I'm going to keep it biblical. And, um, but let's go back. So, as I said, the most common phrase that you'll hear at the moment uh, is toxic masculinity. And at the moment, they believe that they are, there are two things that they believe they're challenging. They believe these two things are steeped in um, tradition. Toxic masculinity defined as the tradition, traditional notions of masculinity often characterized by stoicism, dominance and emotional repression and increasingly seen as toxic and harmful movements like the Me Too movement have highlighted the negative consequence of these traits prompting critical revaluation. I don't know what's going on with me today and getting my words out. Uh, so that's so that's um, that's just kind of like a quick summary of of uh, toxic masculinity. And then the other side is gender roles. So um, again, of the angle at which it goes at is rigid gender roles that confine men to specific societal expectations are being challenged. Uh, men are exploring roles as caregivers, nurturers, and emotionally open individuals, expanding the definition of what it means to be a man. Okay, so these tra- traditional angles are being replaced by these new definitions. So, positive masculinity. A newer concept advocates for masculinity built on the emotional intelligence, vulnerability, empathy, and healthy interpersonal relationships. This approach emphasizes emotional expression, communication, and positive collaboration with women. Okay. Diversity and intersectionality. Recognizing the diversity of men's experiences experiences is crucial factors like race class sexuality and ability of and ability all shape how men navigate masculinity intersectionality encourages considering how these identities converge and influence individual experiences um if i'm honest a whole bunch of jargon in that one so um what are the current challenges current challenges at the moment are the, um there's this notion of confusion and resistance so not everyone embraces the changing ideas of manhood i i can see that some cling to traditional definitions feeling threatened by the redefinitions of gender roles this creates tension and resistance to evolving concepts of masculinity other side of it power structures and inequalities while progress is being made men still hold most positions of power and privilege in society this reality hinders equitable progress and necessitates challenging existing power structures alongside redefining masculinity um so, if I am 
going to do this the way that I want to do this, let me let me start with certain things. <laughs> um, this thing about gender roles and equality. Now, if let me let me be clear from the outset, I am taking a biblical standpoint on my view. If you don't like a biblical standpoint, then I am not the guy for you. That is my disclaimer. I'm not trying to be whatever you're trying whatever you know this world is looking for. I'm I'm being true to what my faith tells me. So, with that said, gender roles. I am not here for this how do I put it? Multitude of genders that have been created. I will repeat that because I'm standing by it. Now, you can call me whatever you want to call me, but I'm not going to mince my words. I am not here for the multitude of genders that have been created because why? It creates confusion and if i am going to base something on what the bible says then let me refer you to genesis 1 27 genesis 1 27 it says um so god created human beings in his own image in the image of god he created them male and Female, he created them. Male and female. That is why you have the X chromosome, Y chromosome. XX equals female, XY equals male. That is biology. That is genetics. I am not trying to look everything else is how you feel. I'm going by what is factually correct. You are now yes there are situations and this is interesting because I I don't know what the research says on this and um I might just I might just run a quick search while while we talk. But I've always understood that gender is defined based on your biology. Um and if you disagree with that, then hey, find me some hard science that backs up what you're saying. Okay, we're going to do some digging. Um oh oh I'm getting I'm getting schooled here. So we have 
So I, I didn't know what the latest term was for this, but okay, so let's say we have the inter they they call it so intersex individuals so individuals who possess both male and female anatomy yeah um it says it is possible for them to have an xxy chromosome combination or an xxx chromosome combination that's interesting so it says the y chromosome plays a crucial role in the in male sex development mainly due to the presence of the sry gene in some cases of intersex mutations or abnormalities in the sy sry gene or other sex determining genes can lead to atypical development okay so um so generally i believe it's an extra chromosome that results in someone being intersex now i don't i don't know how you determine for an individual that is intersex what gender they are and that's just my honest opinion honest my opinion do i do I don't even understand why it occurs and how it occurs. I don't know what the cause is. And I'm not going to sit here and try and um, use theology to justify why it occurs and how it occurs and so on. I don't know. I don't know. And I've never come across it in the Bible. So I'm not going to try and speak on it from a, a biblical context. I will always keep it real and that is me keeping it real. But for the majority um, of individuals, we either have the XX chromosomes or the XY chromosomes. The other side of it that I wanted to point out from that scripture was that there was no separation it said that God created male and female in his Im, Im, it says God created human beings in his image he created them both male and female the emphasis was not on gender the emphasis was on the creation in his image meaning the determining factor is the soul of the human being, the, the soul of the human being takes priority. And that was what was created in the image of God. Both male and female share the same trait based on the soul. That is where the equality is. Your, the equality, the distinction is not made we're making the distinction at the lowest level. God defined 
that equality at the soul. I made male and female, both of them, but I made both in my image because their soul was made in my image. It's what God is saying. Um, so anyway, gender roles. Now, I actually think I'm quite relaxed about certain things. Look, whatever works for your family is what works for your family. I don't have a right to come in and say what you should and shouldn't do. I'm actually quite chill about that. If the woman has a better career and better prospects and therefore can provide a better life for the family and the couple agree that she should be the breadwinner and he should be the person that raises the children, so be it. Let's be crystal clear that there is nothing wrong with a man raising children. It is actually a responsibility of a man to raise children. So the outdated notion and the incorrect notion, and I don't know where it came from, but it is not biblical, is that Child rearing is the responsibility of the women. That is not biblical. When the Bible refers to raising children, it refers to parents. The responsibility of the parents. The father has a responsibility in raising the child. How does, a, how does a young girl know how a man should treat her if she cannot see how her father treats her mother? And she doesn't hear from, a father, from her father how a man should value her and how a man should respect her and how a man should cherish her. We, we, we're out here with men talking about they are the prize. You're not the prize, bro. Because the Bible says, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. You are going to cleave to your wife. You are going to get your wife. She is the one that is coming to complete you. You are incomplete until she comes to complete you. And that's not to say that she, you look, she's not a whole person. She is, you, you, you complement each other. Now, let me make this clear. I am not saying that you cannot function individually. I'm not saying that you cannot operate individually. Of course you can. And there are people that choose to live a life um, of celibacy and not get married and all of that stuff. And they function, they function well. They devote themselves to God. There's scripture about devoting yourself to God 
and if you can do it that is the best thing to do um, but if you choose to marry then honor your wife love your wife as Christ loves the church and we start going into all of these things and there is so much to unpack here so much to unpack but we're caught up on the basics we're caught up on on gender roles we're caught, we're caught up on who's going to who's going to uh bring the food into the house we're caught up on who's who's paying what share of bills we're caught up on who goes out to work we're caught up on who does the dishes who takes the bin out we're caught up on who raises the children who disciplines the children There's far more at stake here. There, there is so much more that we need to be worrying about uh, than these basic level things. The problem is that we're so distracted by these ideologies and notions and all these weird thought patterns that strive to try and replace something you see see, a long time ago someone said to me when you lose sight of who created you and why he created you you attempt to fill that space with something else hence why we have all these random ideologies that come in and try to substitute what was already there and give and a template that's already been given and let me be very clear for those people that want to claim that um the bible drives a misogynistic um agenda it doesn't i don't believe it does is the bible a patriarchy yes the bible is a patriarch it does emphasize a patriarchy it does emphasize that the men as the head of the household but the bible refers to the wife as the help me meaning he cannot function without the wife he is the mouthpiece but together if you understand the way that if you understand god and god's design for marriage and god's design for the family you wouldn't be you wouldn't be saying half the stuff that you say you see because a lot of people don't recognize the spiritual significance and this is what happens when you remove god from marriage god is about covenant let's forget about marriage certificates let's the let's not even man i could there's so much we can dive into i want to dive into soul ties i had this conversation with a friend let's we can dive into soul ties and why you constantly have multiple partners or you enter into the act of marriage with multiple partners and you wonder why 
The more you do it, the less and less you feel whole and complete. Because every time you are leaving a part of yourself with these partners, becoming less and less of the person that you're supposed to be because you are entering into marriage covenants with multiple people. Everything is designed just as God designed it, planned for it to be. Marriage is a covenant. The act of marriage is a covenant. Covenants are sealed with blood. When when God told the Israelites to seal a covenant, it required the sacrificing of an animal. It required the shedding of blood and sprinkling on the altar to seal the covenant. Yet we've forgotten about this. Marriage is a covenant between man, wife and God. The triune nature of God is represented in marriage. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The three are separate, but yet the three are one. God, husband, wife, God. Three are one, but one, but separate. Because God is the head of the, of the, of the Trinity. God is the head of the marriage. And we work subject to God's design for us. We work subject to God's rule for us. Hey, here we go. Here we go again. Crave the dominion and the rule of God in everything. Crave the rule and dominion of God in your marriage. Crave the rule and dominion of God in your home. God is the head that he may rule at husband and wife may subject themselves to his rule, you will start to see what marriage was supposed to be. You won't be bothered about gender roles because you will understand your roles under God. But the problem is when you take God out of the equation, now you're trying to figure out who's the head. Yes, man is the mouthpiece. And I know we get into this old, the man is the head of the household. God is, God is the head of the marriage. The man is the mouthpiece. And I guess when, that's what we should actually say. The man is the mouthpiece. Yet it requires agreement. Why does the Bible say where two or more are gathered? How many people are in a marriage? Two. You join and you become one. But two or more are gathered. When two or more are gathered, I am in their presence. One can set to flight a thousand, two ten thousand. Look at the power that 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 coupling. Again, how many in a marriage? Two. It's not by chance. It is not by chance. We're too busy focused on the on the things that aren't important to realize what God was instituting. The power that he was giving us in marriage. When two come together as one, as a single team, cooperating. Of course, there's, a, there's one mouthpiece. You don't need two mouthpieces. But you should be in agreement in your home. Because when you are in agreement, that's where the power is. 
So back to the whole thing about child rearing. The man is responsible for child rearing as well. Um, if I can, let me see, let me see, let me see. It's in, so I wrote some stuff about the roles that fathers, fathers should model themselves on. And man, there was so much, I'm not even going to, I don't think I'm going to get off the first part of this. And there was so much other stuff I wanted to, to cover, but I, I, I've got a bit, I've got a bit ex- excited, if I'm honest. Um, but I'm gonna break certain. I'm gonna break down certain characteristics that men should. Characteristics of God that men should model in themselves. So, Matthew six twenty six. Um, look at the birds. They don't plant, harvest. Oh, we just talked about this. But look at the birds. They don't plant, harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? God as a provider. Fathers should be providers. Let's move on. Psalm. Psalm 68. Five. Father to the fatherless, defender of the widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. Let me just carry on for a little bit, just to, to, so that you understand the nature of the God that we serve. Father to the fatherless, defender of the widows, this is God who dwells whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. And he makes the rebellious live in sun-scorched lands. Anyway, but puts the, places the lonely in family. That's, but anyway, that's God as a protect. That's fathers should be protectors in the same way that God is the father of, to the fatherless and defenders of the widow. Um, next one, fathers should be compassionate. So here, here we go. When we're talking about, when we're talking about this new positive masculinity, let's just see what the Bible talks about fathers and compassion, because it's not a new notion. You people are out here recycling things that the Bible has been advocating since the jump. So um, Psalm 103.13, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. 14, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. 6.15, our days on earth are like grass, like wild flower, we bloom and die. Anyway, so... Um, Oh, actually, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. So 16, the wind blows and we are gone. And though we had we had never been here, as though we had never been here. 17, but the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children. 18, of those who are faithful to his 
Ding, 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 ding. Covenant. There's that word again. Um, of those who obey his commandments. Marriage is a covenant. A covenant to which, in which children are born. A covenant in which children will inherit the favor of God because they are born into a covenant that is instituted by God. Anyway, next one. Fathers should be disciplinarians. Um, and this is when, look, these are all characteristics of, of a father um, raising a child. So when people talk about fathers need to become involved in, in child rearing, I completely agree. And that's biblical. Um, so the, the Bible wasn't pushing this notion of mothers are, are the ones responsible for child rearing. Don't know where, where people got that from. Um, so Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God, God spoke to you as children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord, for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So... Um, fathers, we need to discipline our children. If you love your child, you discipline your child. I'm not talking about, and you know, we're not talking about corporal discipline here or whatever. And people use the Bible to justify that. And that's, you know, each to their own, each to their own. People will jump straight at that, spare the rod and spoil the child. Each to their own. The rod of discipline does not mean beating your child. Uh, that that's just my opinion but discipline your child teach them what is right and what is wrong teach them from a godly standpoint what is right and what is wrong make sure you instill moral values in your children um and then fathers should be forgiving and merciful so let's jump to that one luke we find that in Luke uh, 15, 20 to 24. Luke 15, 20 to 24. So, so he returned home to his father's house. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son embraced him and kissed him his son said to him father i have sinned against both heaven and you i am and i am no longer worthy of being called your son but the father said to the servants quick bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the fatted calf we have been fattening we must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. And there you have it.
I will put it this way. There are there are stories, so many stories you can draw on. Um read the story of Ruth. Read the story of Esther. These women were leaders in their own right. Let's let's not twist these things. The world has this perverse view that wants to push this notion that God is anti-women. That's not the case. That love is driven from a male perspective. That's not the case. I've talked about the responsibility of love in a marriage. Because it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Now, if we look through history and we look at the church, a church is one filthy bride. Nasty. Doesn't deserve to be wearing the um, white bridal gown. Because she's given herself to other lovers. If we go, you know, based on why you wear white. Um, she shouldn't. But the Bible says, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Forgiving, welcoming, embracing, and washing away her sin. Washing away the sin of the church. Taking this blemished church and accepting it. The onus is on the husband, not the wife. What does it mean to be a man? Men are multifaceted. Yes, men need to be strong. Let's not lie about this whole um, equality thing. Is Listen, a woman should not need to have the strength that a man has to have. Because the man should be protecting her. The man is the one that requires the resilience. But she should have the strength. To. Or the, not the strength. The softness. To balance out his strength. And that's not to say that the man should not have. The ability to be vulnerable. Of course you. Look. The Bible says when you love your wife, you love yourself. A man does not a man that cannot love his wife hates himself. So if you can be tender with yourself, you can be tender with your wife. And if you can be tender with your wife, you can be tender with yourself.
There's so many men that are afraid of being vulnerable. But there are so many men that are afraid of being vulnerable because society has made it impossible for them to be vulnerable. Society has deemed men being vulnerable as a sign of weakness. Society has said that men that are emotionally available are weak or soft. So men hide away and suffer the most mental health issues. Because there is no room for them to be soft and vulnerable. Because they are ostracized for being soft and vulnerable when they need to be. They are told as children, men don't cry. Yes, they do. The Bible says Jesus wept. Men do cry. So... I'm going to put a pin in it for, for, for now because I can keep going. I can so keep going. There is so much that needs to be said. And I've, I've, I literally have just scratched the surface. So next week, I'm going, to di- I'm going to dive back into this because there is a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about. Anyway, I'm going to jump back into... Um, what I was talking to you early, uh, I was talking to you about earlier about idolatry, and um, so this kind of ties in. Soul searching ties in with faith and the hustle. Let's go. So when we were in faith and the hustle, I was talking about um, how I, ambition is the gateway to idolatry, and I kind of kept bleeding in what I wanted to talk about in soul searching. So. As I said, I've said countless times, I'm doing the Bible in a year plan. And at the moment, I'm going through the book of Deuteronomy. And earlier this week, um, I read I read Deuteronomy 8. And it jumped out to me, especially in relation to what we've been talking about. Um and context for this is that i've been i've been successful in life i'm not going to front i've had success in life and i've also had losses i've had peaks and troughs but what i've always noticed and you can Again, you can cancel me, you can crucify me, you can say whatever the hell you want to say. It's your prerogative. You can tune out and go listen to someone else. That's your prerogative. But I'm going to be honest. In my high times, I would forget to pray. And that's not to say that I wasn't, um, I was disconnected from God. I wasn't disconnected from God. But in my good times, when the blessings came, I wasn't as 
I wasn't searching for God the way I searched for God in my low times. And I believe that is human nature. We have this tendency to forget God in the good times. So we've got this, as humans, and and we're going to cover this because... The Israelites demonstrated the same thing in their nature. We are quickly distracted from God when times are good. We, as I said, we've talked about Saul. We've talked about Solomon. And there were others that exhibited this behavior. When the, good, when the times were good, they quickly forgot about... Um, about God the Israelites always did this and then as soon as God turned his turned away from them and they were being attacked or they were struck with sickness uh, or something went wrong they suddenly oh God we have sinned against you um forgive us of our sins um don't take away your your hand from us. Remember your covenant with us. That's what they would do. Um, so when I was reading, and Deuteronomy eight came up, I look. Let me read it. It 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 got to me. And again, forgive me if my reading is off. Um, it's been a long night, <laughs> a long day. So it says. Be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Then you will live and multiply and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry, then feeding you with manna. A food, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. For all these 40 years, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord God, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his way and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a land, into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It is a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, figs, trees and pomegranates, of olives, olive oil and honey. It is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is, ab is abundant in the hills. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for, for the good land he has given you. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands and regulations and decrees. That I'm giving you today for when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in and when your flocks and herds 
have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and and scorpions, where it was hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and to test you for your own good. He did all of this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed with your ancestor he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. But I assure you of this if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, worshipping and bowing down to them, you will certainly be destroyed, just as the Lord has destroyed other nations in your path, and also and you also will be destroyed if you refuse to obey the Lord your God. So I read that and it made me think as human beings we have this fickle nature when the blessings come and you're rewarded for your obedience do not let your guard down and forget your God again The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. And when you forget and you sin. The restitution is sacrifice. Sacrifice comes with pain. Sacrifice. Comes with loss. Obedience. Is a completely different thing. Obedience comes with favor. The Bible says that. In, in God says that. Um, I. And I think this was earlier. It's either earlier in Deuteronomy or in Numbers. It says. I the Lord your God am a jealous God. And. He says. I will. You should have no other gods but me. I visit this. I, I visit the sins of the father to the third and to the fourth gener- generation. But to those who keep my covenants, and again, I'm 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 slightly paraphrasing here. But those who keep my covenants, I will lavish my favor for like um, thousands of generations. So. The reward of obedience. Oh, (laughs) I've got it down here. Um, Deuteronomy 5, 8 to 10. So let me read it word for word. So this is where this was talking about idolatry. So we'll jump in back into that whole idolatry thing. You shall you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them. 
or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Um, so, and that was the NIV version, Deuteronomy 5, 8 to 10. But um, it's interesting to me that when we become successful, we talk about the trappings of success. Trappings. It's a clear recognition that our success can ensnare and enslave us. Like I said before, you become a slave to what you love. So if you love your success, it will ensnare you and enslave you. It will become your master and it will ch- you will chase after it constantly. It will yoke, its yoke will be around your neck and it will drive you. That is why success, ambition can become an idol. Like I said, idols are not just the physical objects of obviously a physical object someone can just carve something and make it an idol but it's a visual aid to facilitate the connection between the idol and its worshiper anything that steals our heart our affection our worship our reverence away from god is an idol um and I just for understanding this and remembering how susceptible we are to falling away, especially when God blesses us. It takes me back to what I said right at the beginning. Remember, you know, even with ambition, God is the one that the Deuteronomy 8, 18, God is the one that gives the ability To produce wealth. He is the one that gives you. The ability to produce wealth. And what for? So that he may confirm his covenant. That he swore to your ancestors. And by ancestors here. We are talking our biblical lineage. We are adopted into his family. We inherit the Abrahamic covenant. So we, I don't even want to get into the other side of ancestral curses and all of that stuff that may be in your bloodline and all of that. That's a whole nother show, um, probably a whole nother season. But let's focus on the ability to make wealth. It is God given. We need to learn to focus on obedience to crave after the kingship of God not only in our careers not only in our marriages in every aspect of our lives why because when we crave after his royal power his kingship his dominion what what we need to sustain us for life will be added onto us so um a bit longer than i planned but let's jump into the imperfect wrap-up 
And I think there's only one thing to be said. <laughs> because the running theme throughout this episode has been about craving the dominion of God, the rule of God. Listen, like I said, I've had ups and I've had downs. And in my downs, I have cried, pleaded, called out for God to intervene. But when I examined my heart in those moments, there was a lack of obedience. That, or there was a lack of obedience in my good times that opened the doors to bad times. Because if we turn away from God, He didn't turn away from us. We turn away from God. We stop inviting God's dominion into our home, into our business, into our marriage, into our children's lives, into our into our lives, into our communities, then that space that we create will be occupied by something else. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you wish for. Because what you get and what you open yourself up to may not be what you were looking for. Crave the dominion and the rule of God and everything else will be added on to you. With that said, I'm out. I'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Imperfectly Human podcast. Remember to subscribe and share this podcast. You can do this on your favorite streaming platforms.